We'd like to welcome you today to uh, the Crossroad Podcast. Uh, the host, <clears throat> Dr. Lee Adams, will be online momentarily, and we will have an exciting topic today. We are just so glad that he could <clears throat> make it online today and be part of this podcast. Podcast. Uh, Dr. Adams is a pastor, teacher, friend, brother, husband, uh, father. He's all that and a whole lot more. He's going to have a awesome discussion today. And we hope that everyone that be hearing this podcast will be getting something that they can take from it and move forward. We are waiting on our host to log in and call in and so we can move forward. We are waiting on you, Dr. Adams. We see that our host has, has tuned in and we will let you take it from here, Dr. Adams. Good morning, good morning, good morning. And thank you, uh, Dr. Bruce Smith. Thank you for manning the controls of the BVS Gospel Net of live broadcasts as well as podcasts and radio. Uh, I want to thank you uh, this morning for having me again on Crossroads. Crossroads is a contemporary podcast where North and South meets East and West. We use the logo of the interstate uh, systems, uh, 55 and um, I-40, uh, as 55 travels North and South, and Interstate 40 travels East and West, and there where they come together is called Crossroads. And our podcast is designed uh, where North and South meets East and West with contemporary topics of interest with leading men in business and industry and government. Uh, as we discuss uh, community development, uh, we discuss health issues, uh, some political issues as well, uh, and education and all other issues that are pertinent uh, to the interests of America and what is going on right now. I want to thank you uh, for tuning us in. Uh, we're waiting on our uh, very uh, special guest uh, to come on. His name is uh, Dr. Willie uh, Kimmins. I want to thank God for him and for them, Mrs. Kimmins as well, who's been instrumental in helping us to move this podcast forward. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, on this... Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, we seem to be having just a little few technical uh, difficulties, but we're going to be all right. Did you hear me now, Dr. Adams? Have an echo. Bless you. Can you hear me? Yes, 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 Dr. Adams, but there's an echo. Okay, let me turn mine down. I don't like to be talking on the podcast. Uh, there is a little input uh, area that you can input your messages into uh, on this morning. But we want to uh, look into uh, our crossroads topic. Uh, we have a very, very, very well-versed uh, individual uh, and individuals, should I should say, uh, the Greer family, the Kimmons family on this morning. And my special guest on this morning is Dr. Willie J. Greer Kimmons, assisted uh, by his wife, uh, Lady Shirley Kimmons. Uh, Dr. Kimmons uh, is an educational, has been an educational and continues to be an educational consultant for pre-K through 16 schools. Title I schools, uh, teachers and parents. He's a motivational speaker. He's an author, which means he's written books. He's a former classroom teacher, superintendent of schools, college professor, college president, been a chancellor. He's a military veteran. And most of all, he is a public servant and community leader. He is founder and president CEO of Save Children, Save Schools Incorporated, which is located in Daytona Beach, Florida. And I want to welcome him this morning uh, to our podcast as he uh, speaks to us about some of the uh, experiences that he has had. And before we get to that, we just want to say to you that our podcast and our topic has been uh, dealing with uh, racism in America. And earlier, we started off with its identity, identifying what racism is. And we talked about its American origins because it had to start from somewhere. And it did not just start in America. It was imported. And so we have talked about uh, racism origins. We've talked about uh, the African slave experience. And we're thankful to our past co-host, Dr. C.L. Holly out of Alabama, who helped us uh, to uh, explore uh, the use of religion and the church to justify uh, the institution of slavery by those who were in control. And so we have looked at several segments of racism in America. And I don't have to tell you uh, that we, are, we in America are the only uh, recipients or we've been the only ones uh, who have uh, been practiced uh, racism against. Uh, even uh, coming to America, uh, the indigenous uh, peoples of the land uh, who were uh, forced, uh, even where 
our own co-host is today, Dr. Kimmons, out of Florida. And there was a trail called the Trail of Tears, uh, the Trail of Sorrows, that actually uh, there is a marker in Memphis at the corner of somewhere around Manassas Street and Jackson Avenue, uh, which marked the uh, Trail of Tears as one of the routes that was used to uh, to take uh, Native and Indigenous Americans away from their homeland and resettle them into another part of the country. And not only have we experienced that as a people ourselves, but we can identify with others uh, who have been victims of racism. And so we're coming today uh, as we look at our topic, uh, education, uh, systemic racism in education. And we talk about uh, how we examine uh, that we can begin to even just understand how is it possible uh, that a people who are taken from their homeland and uh, resettle not as immigrants, but as slaves, one of the most uh, massive movements of people from a continent to another one uh, that has ever taken place in the history of the world, and yet be in slavery. Uh, 1619 started the uh, mass uh, immigration and uh, up through uh, the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, uh, and we have uh, experienced uh, the idea, idea that we're not supposed to be learned, we're not supposed to be taught, but yet there is a history of a grand uh, civilization uh, that we were taken from uh, that produced some of the greatest scholars and inventors and mathematicians and you name it, physicians of the world. And so now we are here in America in 2020. Uh, Dr. Kimmons, are you on the line? I am, Dr. Adams. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, I can. Can you hear me clear? Yes, I can. Okay. I want to say good morning to Dr. Bruce Smith, the wonderful producer of this podcast, Addressing Racism in America, Black America, and the Miseducation podcast. And I want to say good morning to my friend, Dr. Lee Adams, little brother from Frederick Douglass High School in Memphis, Tennessee, an outstanding spiritual and visionary leader, and truly a man of God. I want to say to our listening audience, thanks for this opportunity for affording me as a country boy, public servant of God, to share my history and experiences, born and raised in Mississippi and growing up in a highly, highly racist society in the 50s and 60s in this country. Because God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Dr. Adams, as you mentioned earlier, we as a race of people, we're in a crisis mode today as it relates to politics, education, health and housing, and racism. 
You indicated earlier I'm a country boy born in Hernando, Mississippi. And I'm the oldest of 27 sisters and brothers, 75 nieces and nephews. My mother and father were not married in Hernando, Mississippi, which is about 15 miles south of Memphis, Tennessee. I had nine brothers and sisters that was through my stepfather and my mother, and my father had 18 children. So I have 16 sisters and 11 brothers, and I'm the oldest, and 75 nieces and nephews. I'm also blessed to have the, be the grandson, the godson, rather, of the late great Honorable Shirley Chisholm. I chopped and picked cotton in Hernando, Mississippi for $3 a day and throughout Arkansas. Plowed mules. Dr. Adams, I remember we had the best mule we had named Jack. He was cross-eyed. I had to pull him left to go right. I got a whooping every day. <laughs> I got confused. In Hernando, Mississippi, I went to a one-room schoolhouse. But by the grace of God and family, I traveled from the outhouse in Mississippi to public housing in Memphis, Tennessee, to the White House in Washington, D.C. with my godmother, the late great Honorable Shirley Chisholm, and never, ever missed a beat. One thing that I was told in Mississippi, never, ever forget from whence you come. As a country boy, you mentioned earlier, I've been a public school teacher, superintendent of school, college president, and author of five books. God is good. Found in my organization that God gave me my ministry when I retired as a college president in the superintendent of schools in Daytona Beach, Florida in 2001. God gave me a ministry to help save our children and save our schools. And Dr. Adams and our listening audience, God would always say, save our children, save our schools. Never, ever give up on our children because our children are our greatest resource. Our children are an extension of us and our children are our future. My friends and listening audience, someone invested in you and me. Otherwise, we wouldn't be where we are here today. There's a section in, the, in, the, in, the, in Proverbs the 13 and 23rd, I think it says, a good man leaves his inheritance to his children, children. Dr. Adams and our listening audience, we need to leave something to our children and children because someone invested in you and me. Otherwise, we wouldn't be where we are today. So to my listening audience and Dr. Adams, the best investment we can make is in our children. And when we invest in our children, we invest in our future. Quality education and voting is so important for our survival as a race of people. Dr. Adams, listening audience, yes, as I indicated to you before, you and I attended all black high school. Memphis, Tennessee. Thank God for the great mentors, great teachers, athletic coaches, community leaders. I can remember one of the neighborhoods I grew up in, and we used to move every time rent was due. I used to ask my mother, why are we moving at midnight? <laughs> she used to hit me in the head and say, shut up, boy. Rent was $11.65 a month. Can you imagine? We couldn't even afford that. So we moved three times in one year. I'll never forget that. And my teacher was asking me, he said, boy, where do you live? I said, teacher, I don't know where I live. We were moved three times. <laughs> you know, so, but I had that whole village. I had a real village, a real village of teachers, counselors, athletic coaches that happened to raise me. And Dr. Adams, Four or five of some of these same teachers, four or five of them are still alive today. 
and they're still teaching me. And guess what one of my teachers told me just recently? Mrs. Wilma Soren taught me at Frederick Douglass High School 10th grade English. She's still teaching. Some 60 plus years later, she called me one day and she said, Kimmins, this is your English teacher. And she says, uh, from Frederick Douglass High School, 1960. <laughs> she said, go back and get your fifth book that you sent me and go to the sixth chapter, third paragraph on page 189, the fourth line. She said, I'm going to tell you, boy, that semicolon should have been a, co- a comma. I simply said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you. That village is still teaching us, Dr. Adams, and listening audience. Thank God for the village. In those days, we had a real committed village of community people. We lived in the same community. We walked to school with our teachers. We had three traditional grocery stores. I was a grocery boy in one of the grocery stores. We had small black businesses. We had Black-owned radio stations. We had Black newspapers, Black funeral homes and beauty and barbershops, clean and relatively decent neighborhoods. We didn't have boys running around with their pants below their butts. We fought, yeah, but not with guns and knives the way we are today. Even though our parents made three to $4,000 a year, but the neighborhoods were well represented and neat and clean. And I remember Dr. Adams and our listening audience going down, to, going down my history, going down my history. 1967, Sykeson, Missouri, not that far from where you are, Dr. Adams. Not that far, Sykeson, Missouri, the Boot Hill, the Boot Hill country. Went there to help to integrate the school system. Do you realize that Vietnam was better than me integrating to help me integrate the school system? <laughs> I ran to Vietnam. <laughs> I didn't realize that when I went there to help me integrate the school system in Sykeson, Missouri, I got my first professional check. But I remember my so-called orientation. There's a little old superintendent of school that reminded me of Kentucky Colonel, old Kentucky Colonel. I went to his house. It was up on a big hill. There's a little old lady, black lady, she lived in a little house in the back, and she was serving tea. Here I am, 21 years old. She kept calling me professor. I said, ma'am, don't call me professor. You old enough to be my grandmother. She said, I was told to say that. So the superintendent of schools took me over to the window, and he says, he wanted to say boy. He said, uh, 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 you. He pointed to the schoolhouse. Now, this was my orientation to help him to integrate Sykeson Public Schools. He said, see that building over there? The federal government told me I had to hire you. Here's the key and good luck. <laughs> so that was my orientation. And then he picked up the telephone and he said, Bessie? And I said, Bessie? That was Mrs. Bessie Troop, a little black lady who had a rooming house in the so-called colored community because we couldn't stay in the white community. Bessie, I have a, uh, he studied three times. I have a, uh, well, you know, the federal government then told me to hire some Negroes. I got one here. He needs a place to stay. She has a little room. Dr. Adams and my listening audience, 
it was so small. If I rolled out the bed, I'd be in the, in, 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 in the alley. <laughs> it was that small. My rent was, you won't believe this. <laughs> it was it was $30 a month. $30 a month for room and board. And she gave me three meals and one phone call. Thank God for Miss Bessie Troop. I'll never forget that. So then I got my first paycheck. But before then, I would go into the teacher's lounge for our break. And uh, it would be five or six people in there. Naturally, they were white. I get in, and all of a sudden, I said, oh, I got this whole room by myself. They run out of there, <laughs> run out of there. So I got my first check. And can you imagine, I've been chopping and picking cotton for $3 a day in Mississippi and Arkansas. So I get this first professional check. I said, I'm going downtown, Sykes, Missouri. I'm going to cash this check. Went downtown. As I got closer to the post office, I saw these hanging blocks. Constant reminder them. Negroes don't get out of line. Big old hanging blocks. Right there, Town Square, Sykes, Missouri. So I went in the bank to cash my check. It must have been about 10 people in the bank. I was so happy, so excited. Gonna call my mother, because my job as the oldest is to help take care of the family. As I got closer to the uh, cashier, there was nobody in there but me and two state troopers. They held me for three hours. They asked me, where did you get this check from? The old superintendent of schools, he took his time <laughs> to come down there to verify that I worked in the system. So I stayed there four hours. As of today, I will never, ever cash that check. That's been since 1967. It's a constant reminder. The other thing is that moving on from there, as you and I know, I went to Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. Thank God for Lincoln. Thank God for the black colleges. Because I couldn't go to Memphis State University. They call it the University of Memphis now. Because of the color of my skin. I used to walk three miles to Frederick Douglass High School. Past three or four white high schools. But that was the best experience I ever had. Because we had teachers that were nurtured, caring, concerned. They were an extended family. Thank God for them. But anyway, I can remember at Lincoln University, as a student athlete, that was the only way I could have gone to college in basketball. As you know, in Frederick Douglass High School, I was in ROTC, basketball, football, you know, student government association, what have you. But here I am at Lincoln University in Missouri on the student athletic scholarship. We had to teach our young people that you're not an athlete, you're a student first. You're a child of God first and you're a student first. You're a student athlete. And so I remember we used to travel during the Christmas holidays. For some reason, I don't know why we go to North Dakota, South Dakota, Bemidji, Minnesota, all these foreign places, Fargo, North Dakota. So here we are in Fargo, North Dakota, Christmas time playing basketball. And so the coach came to us and said, Negroes cannot stay in the hotels and motels in the city. So we have to stay at the gym. It was like 15, 20 below outside in North Dakota. So we had to stay in the gymnasium because we were not allowed as black folks to stay in town. So as basketball players and youngsters, we decided one day to go downtown. I'll never forget this. In Fargo, North Dakota, Dr. Adams and the listening audience, they shut the entire town down. 
in Fargo, North Dakota. North Dakota. They said Negroes are coming to invade the town. They shut it down, roped it off. So the only place we could stay for the next four or five days were in the, in the gymnasium. So I remember that because black folks said they come in and invade the town. But I also remember being at this segregated school system that white folks thought that we were we could measure up to, that we were deficient. The best education I ever got was at the Memphis Negro school system from grades one all the way up, and also the one-room schoolhouse in Hernando, Mississippi. I also remember we had eight traditional black high schools in Memphis, Tennessee, and eight traditional white high schools. It's unfortunate that most black folks have forgotten about that, but that was our legacy, the best thing that ever could happen, because all of my heroes and sheroes looked like me. They lived in my neighborhood. They were an extended family of my family. And I remember these eight traditional black high schools, Manassas, Lester, Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, Frederick Douglass, Mary Rose, Father Bertrand in Hamilton High School. I often talk to people about it. I said, where did you go to school? I went to Carver High School. I said, no, you didn't go to Carver High School. You went to George Washington Carver. They said, Dr. Gibbons, who is George Washington Carver? We have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. You heard of Booker T. Washington? It's not BTW, it's Booker T. Washington High School. These are our heroes. It is important that we instill that in our young people. And those out of those eight traditional black high schools in Memphis, Tennessee, Dr. Adams and my listening audience, there were four of us that went to four of those black high schools end up at Lincoln University in Missouri. It was interesting. And we were, uh, this was quite impressive because all of us graduated from high school, the, the traditional black high school in Memphis, Tennessee, 1961, 62, 63, and 1964. And we ended up at Lincoln University and graduated in 1965, 66, 67, and 68. And guess what, Dr. Adams and our listening audience, Two of us ended up being college presidents, two of us ended up being college vice presidents, and one ended up being a president and a CEO of this capital international communication organization. Now this is a kind of academic achievement of four black males, four black males, that came out of these so-called segregated schools in Memphis, Tennessee, and achieved all of us the ultimate degree, the doctorate degree. Now, this is amazing. We're talking about having inferior. We need to instill in our young people that we've had kings and queens and presidents of institutions in Africa hundreds of years ago. So we need to study and analyze ourselves, Dr. Adams and our listening audience, as opposed to being studied and analyzed by others. It is important that we do this. We have a moral, personal, professional obligation, those that came before us, to share that information. It is important that we do this. Here I am, a country boy, older 27 sisters and brothers, chopped and picked cotton, $3 a day. Went all the way from the outhouse in Hernando, Mississippi, public housing in Memphis, to the White House, 
And then at the age of 28, got a PhD degree. Don't tell me what's inferior about our traditional black high schools. And you know what, Dr. Adams? And our listening audience, I went to Northern Illinois University because they were trying to recruit black faculty and staff. Went there as a youngster. And I never forget this. Never forget this. Let me say this before I talk about Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois. Before then, I went to the military. While I was at Lincoln University, I went to ROTC because I was in ROTC in high school at Frederick Douglass High School. And I looked around and I said, oh, who are these people coming here to recruit us? They were out of a branch called the Adjutant General Branch. Never heard of it. Because only black folks in the military in those days were in infantry, artillery, and armor. High-risk area where we were being slaughtered at an alarming rate. I didn't realize that a lot of military people didn't wear military uniforms. There were military branches I'd never heard of, like the legal branch, Judge Advocate General, finance branch, you know, and then there, there are medical branches, all kinds of branches I'd never heard of, adjutant general branch, data process and personnel, special services. So while in the military, and uh, while at Lincoln, rather, it, because I was at a land-grant college, which meant that if you were a male, you had to take ROTC the first two years. And so I said, wait a minute now. Uh, that's a thing called the advanced course, your junior year. I'm not going to get a college degree and end up going to Vietnam as a private. Because if you were in college doing... 1960 to 1968, 69, 70, your chances are pretty good that you're going to Vietnam, unless you were bedwetter, unless you run off to Canada somewhere. So I said, well, let me go into the Vance Corps because Dr. Adams and our listening audience, there were certain incentives for me to be in the Vance Corps. Being a country boy, the first incentive was you had to have a B, a better average, grade point average. That was an incentive to keep my grades up. The second incentive was it would give you $100 a month. Boy, I was rich. <laughs> Had $100 a month. I was already on an athletic student athletic scholarship. So I went into the Vance Corps my junior year and senior year and got commissioned as a second lieutenant as an officer in the United States Army. I'll never forget this. Here I am at AG Officer School in Indianapolis, Indiana. 3,000 officers. This is where I ran into a tennis, professional tennis player named Arthur Ashe. We were the only two <laughs> black officers there out of 3,000. So they kept us apart, maybe three or four miles away in the officers' quarters. And once a month, we all come together and meet with each other. And Arthur and Ashe, Arthur and I, we spotted each other. We ran through the crowd and hugged each other. So we're so glad to see you. So they're killing me down here. They're trying to say I'm inferior. So then, you know, the colonel used to tell me, he said, Kimmons, Lieutenant Kimmons, stand up. He said, you're flunking this class. I said, Colonel, what do you mean I'm flunking? I have an 88 average, and the cutoff is 75. He said, well, you went to a Negro school called Lincoln University of Missouri, and they didn't teach Negroes how to concentrate and how to study, and the school was inferior. I said, what do you mean the school was inferior? I was a senior class president. I had almost an A average. What do you mean it was inferior? He said, are you being insubordinate? 
than at attention. As I got an 88 average, Colonel, out of 75. There were 32 people in the class. He said, Lieutenant Kimmers, you're number 32 out of 32. And you're trying to convince me that my 88 average out of 100 that I'm failing. So he said, I'm going to put your name on the board. You have to constant library duty every day. He was trying to discourage me. So we would sit together alphabetical order. My name was Kimmons with a K. Next to me to my right was a white boy. Spokane, Washington, named Tom Lavagetta. Now, this is a, this has been over 50 years ago. Lavagetta and I are still friends today. He's been a lawyer, retired judge, and what have you. So one day I was studying. I said, ah, no, no, no. I'm not going to let these guys discourage me, tell me that I'm inferior because I went to uh, a, a segregated black public school system, uh, inferior segregated black college. He's not going to tell me that because I'm so glad that my granddaddy in Hernando, Mississippi, taught me who I was, taught me who I am, where I came from. And so I would be studying. So a lot of Jen and all these guys come by and say, Kimmins, let's go downtown. I said, no, I got to study. I have to study. i never forget Tom Lavagetta. He came to me one day. He said, Lieutenant Kimmins, he said, I have something to say to you. If you repeat it, I will not own up to it. You will never, ever improve your grades. And you're standing in this class. We'll take a 20-minute exam and 32 people in there. In five minutes, I'm the only one in the class left. Everybody's gone. I said, Labajetta, what are you talking about? He said, well, you, you got to understand one thing. Our grandfathers, our fathers, our uncles, and our oldest brothers went through this training program. And we have all the exams and quizzes in a safe. All we do is study the exams and safe because they never changed them. You trying to defy the odds. Your 88 will always stand. And the same thing they did with Arthur Ashe, the professional tennis player. Arthur Ashe got temporary duties. He called me one day. He said, Kevin, he said, uh, Lieutenant Kimmins, guess what? The general wise found out that I am a tennis player. They wanted me to teach him how to play tennis. So he got exempt and went TDY, temporary duty. But I'll never forget that. As a result of that, I made sure that I studied. The next exam we had, I made a 98 on the exam. Out of 32 people, I was number 31. Now you got to be, you got to be, it has to be instilled in you who you are to understand what those odds are. It's important. And I never forget that that all black high school, elementary school, junior high school, and that all black Lincoln University of Missouri, we had teachers that were competent, caring, and compassionate. And they were concerned about us as students. Now, we think that things were worse in the 50s and 60s, the killings, racism, and lynchings, we think those were bad. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? No. Because in those days, they were physical. You could see us as black folks hanging from trees. And we didn't have the technology and the cell phones and all the technology and other ways of filming the incidents. I had a brother 
1963. Graduated from Frederick Douglass High School two years before I did. He was lynched in Biloxi, Mississippi. And another brother was on the police force in Memphis, Tennessee. In 2012, he was assassinated. It's important that we understand that. But let me go back to the Northern Illinois experience after I got out of the military. Dr. Adams, the listening audience, because God is good. Here I am at Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, Illinois, about 40, 50, 60 miles north of Chicago. Interesting. I wanted to be a college president because I wanted to be like Benny Mays, Luther Foster. Benny Mays used to be at Morehouse, Luther Foster at Tuskegee. All these people. Ben Alexander was at, at uh, University District of Summer, at Columbia, rather. I want to be like all these guys. These were my mentors. I want to be a college president to save the black colleges. I decided I want to write my doctoral dissertation on black college presidents and black colleges. I didn't realize where I was at this white institution, about 25, 30,000. My doctoral committee had seven white men. They said, Kimmins, we don't want to hear nothing about no niggas. They took my dissertation and threw it in the waste can three times. I was a little junior level faculty member there. That was telling me I was not worthy. Are you kidding? I just politely picked up my dissertation out of the waste can three times. And I said, no, I'm, I'm gonna be a black college president. My ambition is to help save the black colleges, help save the black colleges. It is important that we do that. And guess what I had along the way? My granddaddies, my uncles and aunts, in Hernando, Mississippi, it was against the law. In those days, for them to learn how to read and write, they would always say, boy, get a good education. They would talk, tie talk. Get a good education. Own some land and real estate. Invest in yourself, boy, while you're young, so you can reap the benefits when you get old. And he said, boy, if you're self-sufficient, and independent. White folks may not like you, but if you don't need them, they will respect you. So that was instilled in me at Northern Illinois University. I'm, I, I'm, God made me black. God made all of us. Made us different, but made us equal. I said, God made me. I'm here for a purpose. And I'm going to do my doctoral dissertation on black colleges and black college presidents. After this white committee threw my dissertation in the waste can three times, they said, this Negro is not going anywhere. He's stubborn. And the fourth time that I came to defend my dissertation took me 10 minutes. And the committee said, Dr. Kimmins, congratulations. When you become a college president, we want to work for you. Can you imagine if I had not had the perseverance and endurance that was instilled in me from Hernando, Mississippi, from the outhouse, from public housing, from my teachers and my mentors growing up in the all-black community, an all-black school system, I would not have been able to prevail. All the experiences that God gave me, integrated the school system, the racism in the military as an officer, all those experiences came together because I, my grandfathers and uncles and aunts and God first instilled in me who I am. And so when we talk about racism, we don't have a clue what racism is, you know? And I said to you earlier, but today, 
this racist system has our mind. Years ago, they were, we were just physical, but today it's mental and physical. They have our body. And when the system, Dr. Adams, and our listening audience, when the system can control your total being, your mind and body, the system has control over your total being. This is our dilemma today because our people, especially our young people, do not understand nor respect nor appreciate our history. And I'm also reminded of one of my greatest scholars, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, in his book, the 1933 book, entitled The Miseducation of the Negro. Every black person should read it. In 1933, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, a lot of black folks never heard of him. He started the Black History Day, Black History Week, and what is known now as the Black History Month. As we all know, it's the shortest month in the history, in, 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 in out of the 12, but he started it, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, in his book, The Miseducation of the Negro. That should be on the shelf of every black person in this country because we have not progressed beyond that. We have been totally miseducated. We went through what we call the pseudo-integration. We were never integrated. It was pseudo-integration. Integration to whites was different than integration to blacks. It is important that we understand that. White folks said, hey, we will let you integrate as long as we control the money and control the hiring and firing. But you got to give up something. And we were just so happy. I fought my generation. Look what we gave up. Look what we gave up. I remember the long, one of the longest streets in Memphis was Chelsea Avenue. In those days in the 50s and 60s in Memphis, Dr. Adams, you know, black folks only live north and south. Jeez. I used to drive down Chelsea, see manicured lawns. Black folks happy. Ownership, small businesses. Ownership. Today you drive down Chelsea in Memphis, Tennessee. Looks like somebody dropped a bomb. It's an eyesore. Breathe you to your knees in tears. Something went wrong. My generation gave up this. We fell into the pseudo-integration bit. We had to give up our rights. I can remember Dr. Adams in the listening audience just two years ago. I was honored down in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Two young men lost their lives trying to help black folks to register to vote. I got the Civil Rights and Social Justice Award. Just a falsehood behind the Civil Rights Movement. A lot of black folks don't realize, right in Memphis, Tennessee, Dr. Adams, listening audience, it pains me every year that we don't understand our history about the so-called Lorraine Motel. Dr. King was murdered on my birthday, April the 4th, in my hometown, in our hometown, Memphis, Tennessee. One of the neighborhoods I grew up in was on Mulberry Street, where the Lorraine Motel. There's a friend of mine, he's deceased now, lawyer and judge, the Army Bailey, the Army Bailey. He saved the Lorraine Motel. They used to call them a radical. They used to call all of us radical because we didn't feed into the establishment. We wanted to study and analyze ourselves as opposed to being studied and analyzed by others. Research. Only thing we do, most of us, is sit there 
and let nothing mass media spoon feed us with propaganda. I'm saying go beyond the television, do your own research. One of the reasons I've written five books is because I got tired of reading his story. We have a story. Dr. Adams, can you hear me? Am I still here? Shirley? Yes, you are still there. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. I didn't know I lost you. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, one of the reasons why I've written five books is because I got tired of reading his story. His story is their story. We have a story. That's why we need to study and analyze ourselves as opposed to being studied and analyzed by others. What education does, it unlocks a lot of things in your mind. It gives you hope. It gives you aspiration. It gives you an idea of who you are and where you came from. If you don't know where you came from, if you don't know your history, you have no clue where you're going. So I remember getting the Civil Rights and Human and Social Justice Awards. Took my granddaughter down there and took my family. And just to see these three young men, two whites and one black, how they gave up their lives. They were lynched, burned to death, and buried trying to help black folks trying to help black folks to be self-sufficient and independent. And going back to the Lorraine Motel, where Dr. King was murdered on my birthday in my hometown, and one of the neighbors I grew up in. And there was just be a little ballroom floor in there, Lorraine. That was one of the few places we could go to after the prom. I won't get into all the other funny details about it, but anyway, it was a motel. And Mrs. Chisholm, the late great Honorable Shirley Chisholm, I, I don't know whether you all remember late, great Dr. Ben Hooks, first black judge in Shelby County, Tennessee, Memphis. But Pat, their daughter, I grew up with Pat. Francis Hooks, Reverend Ben Hooks' wife, taught me in the third grade. Third grade. Can you imagine all that nurturing? So one day, a little old lady named Shirley Chisholm was coming to speak to the local NAACP, which was headed by Reverend Dr. Ben Hooks. And Mrs. Francis Hooks at Kimmins. We got a special guest coming to speak at the school today. Her name is Shirley Chisholm. I was eight years old. So you love to talk. I want you to introduce her. So I've been with Mrs. Chisholm since I was eight years old. And the rest is history. Every place I've worked in this country, Mrs. Chisholm has been there with me since I was eight years old. From graduating from college, five white institutions, five black institutions, north, south, east, and west, public and private, you name it, Mrs. Chisholm has been there. I moved up to Florida over 20 years ago. She died in Ormond Beach, Florida, which right next to Daytona Beach, Florida, January 1st, 2005. I was with her every day since I retired in 2001 for four years. Nurturing, nurturing. And then I remember growing up in Memphis, Tennessee in the 50s and 60s. I'm sure you remember this too, Dr. Adams. When black folks only lived on the north and south sides of Memphis. If you got caught outside of these areas without a lawnmower and an apron, and that was to more than clean white folks' yards and houses, if you got caught outside those areas without a lawnmower and apron, I'm sure you were surely got stopped and questioned and asked, where are you going, boy? Where are you going? I can remember in Memphis, Tennessee in the 50s, 60s. We had one day we could go to the zoo. I know it sounds facetious, 
That was only on Wednesdays. We only could see the monkeys, the gorillas and the and the bears. Kind of ironic. We had one day we'd go to the fair, which was on Saturdays. And being the oldest child of 27 sisters and brothers, I prayed to God every day. God, don't let me be like my daddy. <laughs> Jesus, all those babies. I'm still having to raise my children <laughs> by, by nieces and nephews and by younger sisters and brothers. My four adult children are older than some of my sisters and brothers. I grew up with my stepmother in her nether, Mississippi. She was four years older than me. So my daddy was a real rolling stone. <laughs> you know, I used to tell my sisters and brothers, don't hate your daddy. How can you dislike somebody you don't know? I used to tease them. I said, well, when you came up, your daddy could have flushed you down the commode. But when I grew up in Hernando, Mississippi, I'd be still in the outhouse. He couldn't flush me. <laughs> so I had to have a sense of humor. You got to have a sense of humor. So I can remember when I was 19 years old, sophomore at Lincoln University. I came home one day after the Easter break. And my grandfather now he's living in Memphis, 15 miles from Hernando, Mississippi. And Papa woke me up at five o'clock in the morning. And he told me, he said, boy, put on your best suit. I said, God, leave. Papa lost his mind. It's dark outside. I hope young people are listening. Be obedient, young people. You can, it's good to be young, but it's a blessing to learn to live to be old. Listen to those who came before you. You can learn something. So Papa said, be obedient, boy. Put on your best suit. Five o'clock in the morning. I thought Papa had lost his mind. I said, Papa, it's dark outside. He said, boy, be obedient. I took Papa's riding for 20 years, Dr. Adams, throughout Hernando, Mississippi. And throughout Mississippi, listening audience. He would always ask me, boy, turn on the sheen. That was the tape recorder. He said, turn on the sheens. It took me almost five years to realize what my papa was doing. He took me back seven generations. Listening audience, Dr. Adams, seven generation. He took me back to 1818. And on March 16, 1987, papa had turned 97 years young. This was our last of the 20 trips. He said, boy, take me by one of his friend's house. They had these old country names. He said, take me by Mr. Desai Mackle's house. Mr. Desai Mackle was also 97 years old. He had been bitten by a chicken snake in his barn. He was laying there in a coma. I'll never forget this listening audience in Dr. Adams Papa told me, he said, boy, get me away from, around from all these old sick people. So I'm ready to go home. And the entire car shook. It took me all that time, after all these 20 years of taking him riding, and Papa said, take me home. I knew he was not talking about Memphis, Tennessee. He was ready to go home to meet with God. And I said, Papa, you're going to outlive all of us. He said, be obedient, boy. And eight months later, Papa called me long distance and said, boy, I want you to go get those tapes. 
of 20 years, when you took me riding throughout Hernando, Mississippi, when I was telling you about racism, hardcore racism, when it was against the law for me to learn how to read and write. And I told you, boy, get a good education. You know, learn everything you can. Invest in yourself while you're young, boy, so you can reap the benefits when you get old. And also, boy, become self-sufficient and independent. That instilled in me. And Papa said, boy, I want you to do my eulogy. What? I want you to do my eulogies. Go get them tapes. And next two or three hours on the phone, Papa talked me through his eulogy. He said, do this, boy. Take this out, boy. Put this in, boy, because I want you to do my eulogy. The greatest feeling of my life instilled in me. He took me back seven generations, 1818. Dr. Adams and the listening audience, I would like to leave you with the things. And Dr. Smith, I'd like to leave you with the final sins of my grandfather. The things that Papa would say. He would say, boy, take time to pray. Take time to play. Boy, take time to share. Take time to care. Boy, take time to eat. Take time to sleep. Boy, take time to live. and Take time to give. And boy, take time to be good to yourself because life is awfully short. Live life to the fullest, boy, one day at a time. Because the only time you can control, boy, is the moment. And Papa would pop his finger and he said, boy, that moment is gone. God bless you, the things that Papa would say. Okay, Dr. Adams? I don't know if you can hear me. Uh... I believe Dr. Adams had a problem connecting. He's there, but I don't believe he's he has to call connect to call back in. But I have listened to this podcast and I just was in awe of everything that you said and and what you talked about. Things that I had uh, coming from the, up north never knew anything about, and then things that I was always wondered about. Uh, down in in the south in, in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, being one that uh, only moved down in the area 17 years ago, there's just so many things that uh, I did not know. And uh, to hear you, I, I I didn't want you to stop talking <laughs> because it was uh, it was just so interesting and so good. I, I hope that uh, uh, someday that uh, we'll be able to get you back on and do uh, maybe a part two because this was like uh, amazing to me uh, being uh, um, uh, still in my 50s and not knowing anything about what went down went on down here in the south not seeing some of the things that you even talked about uh, it was just uh, amazing to me and I, I just want to say thank you uh, for uh, coming on and, and being part of this today. Uh, Dr. Adams had uh, reconnected and I don't know, somehow I guess he got kicked out again trying to reestablish himself. But uh, this was uh, <laughs> I can, simply awesome. All I can say simply awesome to 
to hear about uh, your life and everything that you went through. Uh, sometimes uh, as a, a younger man, you, you don't know or you wonder if uh, about the things that uh, you've been through and and you think that you're the only one that's been through a lot, but listening to you, I see that uh, uh, you've been through great things and God has brought you through some awesome situations. And I just want to say thank you myself for um, coming on the podcast today and being part of it. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. God is good. And I had, I had a real village at a real village. And uh, I tell you, I had a lot of support groups around and uh, Dr. Adams and I had been around each other. He was a freshman in high school when I was a senior. And it is really interesting in having all those mentors. And, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about it is that when I retired in 2001 in Daytona Beach, Florida, and I had um, uh, brought Mrs. Chisholm here 20 years earlier, and just uh, just to, to, to instill in, 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 the, in the things that I was taught growing up in Mississippi, and uh, as a result of that, I'm a Baptist by, by religion. Uh, Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, I was baptized in 1953. But, uh, you know, I, I attend five or six churches in Memphis and right. in, in Daytona Beach, Florida, you know, the, for my community involvement as a public mm -hmm. servant. And I've been blessed to have four or five godsons. In fact, one of my godsons is a state representative here, and one of my other godsons is the mayor of the city. But that was instilled in me to reach back and help those who have not been as fortunate as you are. And that right. was instilled in me from Mississippi. And uh, as a result of that, Mrs. Chisholm told me, said, Willie, you've done all these speeches on parenting and children. And God gave me a minister to help save our children, save our schools. So my fifth book is a parenting guidebook, a parenting guidebook, the roles of school, family, teachers, religion, community, local, state, and federal government in assisting parents and grandparents in rearing their children. Right. So God gave me that ministry. So I, I appreciate the opportunity that you afforded me to share and thank God for Dr. Smith and Dr. Adams, and also for your comments. God bless you. Let me know if I can help you in any way. This is my ministry. I would say stay in prayer, stay healthy, and stay safe. This was a, thank you so much. Uh, I think Dr. Adams has had some type of problem. Um, I, he can't speak at the moment, but we're going to uh, prepare to close it out, and um, I'm, I'm hoping that he will uh, try to bring you back on for part two, because I would love to to hear more about this. Uh, it's so much about history that we think we know that we find out we really don't know, because I found that uh, a lot of times they don't tell you the truth, and it's not in in the history books. And uh, it seemed like that there are so many that want to keep us in the dark about our history. So uh, we thank you uh, for tuning in and we're going to prepare to tune out and uh, we hope to be able to communicate with you again. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you, sir. God bless you.